This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. You know, when we're talking new Olympic sports, there's one that's had a lot of buzz around it for a couple of years. Breaking or breakdancing. There's a heap of young people out there pushing for breaking to be better understood by the wider community, especially in the lead up to Paris where it'll be included for the first time. But could Australia miss out on the Olympics because the sport's not taken seriously enough? Well, later we're going to be speaking with a person I'm going to describe as Australia's biggest breakdancing expert. Also coming up, protests have broken out to demonstrate tougher laws against protesters in South Australia. We're going to fill you in on that. First, though, how long's it been since you treated yourself? Hack. I don't have a social life. I don't, because I can't afford one. On Triple J. What's your definition of a luxury, a splurge, a treat? And has it changed over the past year or two? Like, have you found that with cost of living pressures, now you're saying no to a lot of things that actually spark a bit of joy, lift your mood, things that you used to do and didn't think about? Maybe it's gone for a drink with your mates, going to gigs, obviously, or it could be getting your nails done, getting a haircut, whatever it is for you. Where do you draw the line in your budget about what's a necessity and what's a treat? And has it changed the way you're living? You're not dating as much. Maybe you're not socialising with your friends. You're not getting as much exercise. Call in 1300 555 You can message in as well, 0439757555. I also want to hear how you feel if you do do something special for yourself. Like, the guilt is real. In a minute, we're going to unpack this with an expert. But first, here's Angel Parsons. So, Shalana, what are we doing with your hair today? Um, if I can get some purples and some greens and maybe the occasional blue. Yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, I'm at my local hair salon in Mackay chatting to hairdresser Michael West. His client, Shalana, is getting this wicked green and purple colour done. Hair can be an entire identity for some people. Like Definitely having coloured hair makes me feel more me than having like my normal natural. As Michael mentioned before, someone's hair can be their identity. Mine's kind of is. Very happy. Awesome. It really made Shalana's day, but she saved up for this moment for a couple months. So, Michael, have you noticed anything different about your clients over the last, I don't know, year or so in terms of, like, spending habits or, or trends in what people are wanting with their hair as cost of living is really affecting a lot of people? Oh, absolutely. Definitely within like the last 12 months, maybe a little bit before it, um, people have slowly just started transitioning into like low maintenance hair colours, pushing their haircuts out for longer appointments, that sort of stuff. We've even had clients come in who will get their colour put on but then leave the salon with their colour so that all they have to do is pay for the colour, not like the blow-dry and the haircut service as well. So yeah, more and more expenses are becoming luxuries for a lot of Aussies. I feel so guilty about doing something that isn't directly related to either improving my situation or is something that it's not food, it's not electricity bill or rent, it's not those things that are viewed as essential. This is Brizzy woman Eleanor Smith. 
she's on the disability support pension. She struggles to pay rent and food. There's no money anymore for simple things she loves, like her favourite craft magazine. And she hasn't finished the last stages of a root canal because... That is kind of necessary, but in a way it's also a luxury. But recently, her hair was feeling so heavy and flaring up her psoriasis that she decided to treat herself to a cut, despite how much anxiety and guilt that brings. I haven't had my hair cut um, in about a year. I just feel better after I go and see my hairdresser, um, but it is really hard to sort of just think to myself, like, uh, for example, I got the bus to the hair salon and then I walked home afterwards because I was, you know, oh, that's another $3.85 or something on a, a bus trip. For Eleanor, not having the money for a haircut isn't her most pressing worry, of course, but she says that doesn't mean it's superficial or trivial either. Having to sacrifice the little things can make a big difference. It makes you want to retreat further and the isolation is really difficult. And hairdresser Michael agrees. It's not even getting the hair done, it's just stepping away and being able to vent about their problems to a hairdresser as well. Like, we are almost there. <laughs> Unqualified therapists. How the cost of living crisis impacts our well-being can be hard to measure, but a survey run by a group of Aussie academics every year gives us some really interesting insight. Each year, we ask 2,000 Australians across the country about their well-being. This is Kate Lysett from the School of Psychology at Deakin Uni. She's the lead researcher on the Australian Unity Wellbeing Index. The satisfaction with life as a whole, it had dropped to the lowest score that we've ever seen on record. It's super grim, but they also found that the average well-being for 18 to 25-year-olds was the lowest on record as well, likely from feelings of anxiety, stress, depression and climate worry. The three things that we know contribute most to satisfaction with life as a whole, standard of living, personal relationship and the sense of purpose in life are by far the strongest. But sometimes those things cost money to achieve, right? I asked Kate and she said, yeah, money can make a huge difference in the lower income brackets. But she really wanted to point out that actually, sometimes the most meaningful boosts to well-being can be free. Think quality time with a friend over a cleverly marketed product. Well-being is such a buzzword now and it's so um, marketed. <laughs> you know, go to a retreat and boost your well-being type thing, you know. I think, you know, what we're talking about here is very different. And Eleanor says finding a safe space online has actually helped her find that sense of connectedness and she really recommends it for anyone else struggling to spend a little money on yourself right now. There'll be people who can validate you, who can also suggest some ideas as well for your type of self-care. As I said, you know, I felt bad about going to get my hair cut. It can sometimes help just to say it out to people. Hack on Triple J. Angel Parsons with that story and lots of stuff on the text line coming through. People talking about coffees. Yeah, feel guilty about spending 20 bucks on coffee last week. Another person, because of cost of living pressures, as a recently graduated comm student, I don't get my hair dyed anymore. My brother cut off my hair recently. Another person, yeah, just a normal haircut's a luxury at the moment. Jackson says, no guilt. You can't take your money when you're gone. Jackson's view on it. Let's go to Josh in Melbourne. Josh is on the line. Hey, Josh, are you like, you know, figuring out that your life's a bit different now that you can't get out and spend a bit of money? Absolutely, it is. I uh, I moved out in January, and I've I've come from a place of um a pretty dark place mentally, and 
I'm doing a lot better now, but kind of figuring out who I am, I, I can't just kind of go out and spend money willy-nilly figuring out what I like because I don't have that disposable income to deal with. So I'm I'm left in this position where I'm just kind of going to work and, and going home and that's it. Yeah, it's just the grind, right? There's so yeah, many people that are saying the same thing, Josh. Hey, uh, you know, thank you for calling up with your experience. Someone says, yeah, a gig used to be my treat myself. Now I'm lucky if I buy a tub of ice cream. My therapist actually asked me to intentionally treat myself to help boost endorphins. I had to tell her that therapy is the only treat myself that I can afford. That's from Chelsea. Someone else says, look, it feels a bit cringy in first world problems. How about things we like to do that cost little or nothing? I get it, but come on. I don't know. The thing is, it's affecting people's way of living. It's affecting how they see themselves. It's affecting their mood. It's affecting their mental health. So it's something we need to talk about. Let's get into it with an expert. Jane Monica Jones is a financial therapist and she's with us now. Hey, Jane, thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me. Spending money to make yourself feel better sounds like a bad idea. Like everything that we're taught growing up is that that's not right. But are there some exceptions where a splurge or some little treat can actually help? Look, absolutely. And I think what we're talking about is a level of resilience, yeah? One of the big key um, pieces of resilience is play. Yeah. So the more that I can play, the more that I can have a little bit of decompression, a bit of stress relief, my resilience to bounce back, deal with what's happening for me is going to be better. So what we need to do is a way of looking at play in low cost, low, you know, no or low cost ways to do play. And that might mean we have to pivot the way we did play before. Maybe it's not going out to the pub as much or spending a fortune at the theatre or, or, you know, cinema, whatever it is. So but play is an essential piece. We want to get that dopamine hit. How do you draw the line? Like what's too much? Because you don't want to go the other way too where all of a sudden you're reckless and spending way too much. Yeah, so you've got to, you know, first up in your budget is meet your basic needs. And that that is, you know, clothe myself, feed myself and make sure I've got adequate shelter because no amount of financial well-being is going to happen if we're not meeting our basic needs first. That's priority number one. Then it's about, look, you know, there's times in every, you know, our parents or our grandparents, but where times are tough and we need to pull on that resilience to be able to change the way we've done things in the past. All things will pass eventually and this will be a time that that shall. But we we can't always do what we've always done to get where we want to go. So we've, sometimes we've got to change and this is what's been called of us at the moment. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, yeah, I've gone from being able to afford a, a lot of things that I've wanted within reason to cutting back on all those exact same purchases in the past year, close to $0, not even having extra in my bank account. I'm upset about that. Another person says, yeah, this has been my life for years. I earn minimum wage in a casual waitressing job. So I always struggled to afford things my friends can afford easily. Like I didn't have a haircut for four years. So people messaging through with all of their experiences, I'm wondering, Jane, like there's a lot of guilt that I can see coming through the text line as well. And people, some people have this in spades. Whenever they spend a bit of money on themselves that may not be on groceries or food, they're just crippled with guilt. Why is that? Oh, look, I mean, it's it's a really, really complex uh, answer. I'll try and make it really short. The thing is, is that, you know, it, we're talking about pleasure. 
and pleasure is such a complicated thing that somehow we can't we've got to get all the ducks in the row before I can even have have some fun and that's something that sits very much in our personalities go and get it going get it going and then this time for play again it's we have a really complicated thing around you know how can I give myself a little bit of pleasure but it's important for self-care in a way so what advice have you got for people who are really struggling to spend a bit of money on themselves or are not sure what's within reason? Yeah, look, for me, I would say, and that's whether I'm working with clients or I also work, you know, with, with you know, employees and, and organisations, low cost, no cost at the moment. That's just the best strategy. Spending more time in nature, looking at, you know, proactive ways that you're not actually spending when you're socialising. Being in parks is really great for our mental health. Being in nature is part of our mental, you know, great mental health strategy. So low cost, no cost at the moment. It's not always going to be like this. But sometimes we just got to hunker down and just, you know, not buy that second pair of shoe or, you know, go out all weekend. It's, it's just the nature of times will pass and change and better times will come. Someone says, yeah, the cost of living, uh, definitely a thing at the moment. Like I was earning 50% less a few years ago and dining out nearly every day. Unthinkable now as I eat home. Uh, I eat at home every day. Someone else says, eating less meat each week to save dollars, prolonging turning on the heater where possible. So some of these things aren't even luxuries, but that's what people are doing. Do we think, Jane, that we need to get better at talking about money with our mates, with our families? that part of the problem as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's often not a lot of psychological safety around money, you know, because it makes us feel very, very vulnerable. You know, we may not have what our others, our friends may have, or we're really struggling. But it is something that, you know, we need to talk more about. There's a lot of taboo about talking about money because we can go into comparison. But the more that we can say, you know what, yeah, I'm feeling a bit wobbly around this. We sometimes just didn't get the guidance we needed to be- budget better or we didn't get the kind of advice that we needed that to, to kind of make us handle difficult situations and money. So, yeah, if we can kind of promote it as, as peer peer groups to, to say, yeah, what's your, what's your money story? What's your money issues at the moment, you know, and how can I potentially help or support you? Okay, very good advice there. Financial therapist Jane Monica-Jones, thank you so much for joining us on Hack. Thank you. Some more messages coming through. Someone says, op shop, save the planet and your money. Another person says, yeah, we all deserve a bit of enjoyment in life. Yeah, definitely do. Hack. That's what change is about. It's disruption. There is a problem that needs to be fixed here. On Triple Jack. Have you ever been to a protest? Something you really cared about? Wanted to get out there with your peers? Get your voice heard? Would you still do it if you knew you might cop a fine of $50,000? Or a few months behind bars? Because South Australia's parliament is debating changes to protest laws this week that have got some people worried. These changes might pass, and it's led to protesters protesting the protest law changes. South Australia's Premier thinks the changes would help stop disruptive protests, you know, ones that interfere with traffic or close public spaces. But others say, nah, this is undemocratic and it's a slippery slope. Joe Lauder has more. And we say, down with this bill. Down with this bill! Down with this bill! 
This is outside South Australia's parliament earlier today where hundreds of people were out protesting against these proposed laws that would hit disruptive protesters with massive penalties. I've never protested before, but this is way too important not to. I've been a Labor voter all my life and I almost feel personally offended that the Labor movement, the Labor Party, would rush something like this through. Well, I'm here today because I'm concerned by the breadth of the legislation. If the government has a particular demographic they're wanting to target, then they need to come up with something a bit more nuanced. Anjali Beams is a local organiser for the School Strikes for Climate Movement, and she told the crowd that they were worried about these new laws. This bill, now and in the future, has direct consequences for the youth who will suffer the consequences of climate breakdowns and social injustices that this bill wishes to silence the voices for. These proposed state laws could see protesters go to jail and find a huge $55,000, yeah, $55,000 for public disruption. The fine was $750. The right to protest, the right to gather in the street and speak your mind is absolutely fundamental in any democracy. That's David Mejia Canales. He's a senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre. This all started a few weeks ago with a wave of protests across Adelaide by the group Extinction Rebellion, including one where a protester abseiled down a bridge and caused a traffic jam. The South Australian government wasn't impressed. So the day after, the lower house in South Australia passed the amended laws with the support of both the Labor Party and the Liberal Party. The parliament debated these laws in 22 minutes and they passed the assembly in that time. It's not even enough to do a load of washing. The changes mean that anyone who, quote, intentionally or recklessly obstructs a public place could get these bigger penalties. David says it's too vague and could have serious consequences. It's actually about any obstruction by anyone in a public place. The laws are so broad that they could cover people sleeping rough, someone handing out flyers about gambling-related harm, all the way up to some of the more disruptive protests that we've seen in our cities. More than 80 groups like the union movement and legal and social and human rights groups have all come out saying that the laws feel rushed and like they're an overreach. The South Australian Premier Peter Malinakis defended them on ABC Radio today, saying the right to protest isn't under attack. All the government is seeking to do here is address the issue of people who, with impunity, repeatedly break the law, crowdfund the fine so they effectively don't have to pay it, and then can shut down the city in an unreasonable way. And that is why we'll work through the Legislative Council, make sure there's no scope creep, but the fine does need to increase to disrupt to to stop that unreasonable disruption. And this morning, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, told ABC Radio that he backs the South Australian Premier to act responsibly. Well, of course, free speech is important, but it's also important to exercise responsibility as well. And some of the depiction of of shutting down uh, a whole city in a dangerous way uh, can be an issue. But this isn't just happening in South Australia. So South Australia is just the the latest one of a of a trend that um, is criminalising protests, but particularly criminalising country defenders and um, climate defenders. Last year, New South Wales introduced new laws that mean protesters can be fined up to twenty two thousand dollars and jailed for up to two years for protesting and blocking roads, rail lines, bridges, or tunnels. 
Victoria introduced similar laws this year for forest protesters, and Tasmania's also introduced harsher penalties for protests. David Mejia Canales from the Human Rights Law Centre thinks everyone should be worried about this trend. I understand that protest is sometimes disruptive. And in many ways, that's the point. That's how it works. That's why it works. And anyone who values living in a democratic society should have a certain level of tolerance for a little disruption to our everyday lives if our right to protest, if it's going to have its full value. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. Joe Lauder with that story. And we've got some messages coming through on the text line. Someone says, this is effed. Protesting is a human right. Another person says, most achievements in our society today are born out of protest. Things like Eureka, the eight-hour workday, pride. How can they make such laws that target this? Someone else, no change ever happened without disruption or inconvenience. And someone else says, the government needs to protect freedom of speech, protest and gathering. So, look, we'll keep you up to speed with that one. There's going to be more developments in the days ahead, I'm sure, so we'll make sure you're across them. Hack. I'm just going to continue to work as hard as I can, but we just don't know what's going to happen. On Triple J. Hey, what's your favourite Olympic sport? Can't go past the swimming, gymnastics. What about pistol duelling? They only did that once. It was a bit dangerous. They got rid of it. We know the Olympics are trying to reinvigorate the games for young audiences with new competitions, skateboarding, big push for stuff like esports. But there's one thing that's got everyone excited for next year's games in Paris. Breaking, also known as breakdancing. So are we going to have some Aussies competing? What's the community like in Australia? Do you know much about breaking? We've got someone on the text line already. I'm a Queensland B-girl and have been breaking for about five years. It's not only a big part of my life and the only part that makes me grow as a person, but I believe it's a culture worth knowing. That's from Taylor. Amazing. Well, I have someone with me right now, Australia's top-ranked B-girl. I'm going to call her the biggest expert on breakdancing <laughs> in Australia. Is that fair to say? Rachel? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to take that time. I do what I can. Okay, I do what right. I can. <laughs> because not only are you Australia's top-ranked B-girl, woman breaker, also known as Ray Gun, by the way, but you're a doctor and you research breaking and street dance culture at Macquarie Uni. So really, this is a lot of your life. It is a lot of my <laughs> life. It's, it's everything, every day, looking at it from so many different angles and experiencing it in so many different ways. I'm, I'm so lucky. Can yeah. you explain what a B-girl is? Well, yeah, a B-girl is um, a, a woman breaker. Um, but, you know, you can also call people just breakers if you don't want to use the gender-specific term. Um, and, yeah, it's someone that, you know, is is practising, is learning the dance and is participating in the community, learns about the culture, and it, and it becomes a whole identity as well. So we're looking at breaking being part of the Olympics next year in Paris, right? Yeah. How did that happen? Like, was there a big community push? Was the breaking community all for it? Were there some elements that were a bit off it? How did it Oh how did my it gosh, happen? not at all. It was wild. So a few years ago, was it? I think it was back in 2016, 2017, um, we found out that actually WDSF had put forward breaking um, as an Olympic sport. Now WDSF are World Dance Sport Federation. They mostly do ballroom events. Oh, what? The ballroom <laughs> dancers put you forward? <laughs> they did. They did. And we were like, um, what's going on here? So, um, um, we had to kind of, you know, really try and uh, negotiate with them and talk with them and be like, if you're going to do this, we really need to have a seat at the table. Mm. But because they won the bid 
with the International Olympic Committee. They're the ones that are organising everything. So the last few years has been really interesting in working with them and also for ourselves. I mean, we had no idea this was going to happen and it happened so quickly. So all around the world, we've suddenly, you know, created these sporting associations. We've created these judging systems. We've created, you know, these rules and regulations. And it has been a wild ride. Well, I was going to ask, so if you're... Australia's top-ranked B-Gold, does that mean you're going to the Olympics? Uh, well, it all depends on a few things. Yeah. Okay. So at the moment, we're trying to get the money together for an Oceania qualifier. So that's really our best bet because then we, whoever wins the Oceania qualifier, the B-Boy and the B-Girl, will get a spot in Paris in 2024 Olympics. Right. If we don't get that qualifier, then a couple of the top-ranked people in Oceania um, will go to what's called the Olympic qualifier um, series along with 40 other of the best breakers from around the world and we've got to try and compete to try and get those last few spots in the Olympics. So it's a little less likely that right. we might get through, but Oceania, you know, is, is our best bet and it just means that there's someone from this region representing. So you've got to put together this qualifying event but I imagine that costs a lot of money. It does and that's the biggest hurdle right now you know it's just the money Um, you know it's so difficult in Australia because of the requirements for the judging system Uh, we need to fly over all these judges from overseas it's a bit more expensive coming to Australia than some of these other countries so the money is our biggest hurdle at the moment so we're really hoping that we can um, you know, get some exposure and get some corporate sponsors on board to help us. Can you explain how it works? Like if it's at the Olympics, what are we going to be seeing here? Is it people who have got, um, I mean, it's not going to be a routine ready for a song that the breakers know, right? Is it all improv? Yeah, it's so different to what people expect. Like you don't know what music is going to be played. You don't know what song you're going to hear. You've got your prepared moves, but you've got to make sure those moves fit with that music because you've got to demonstrate musicality. That's one of the things that they're looking at. And are different moves worth different points or anything like that? Nothing like that. No, they're looking at it holistically. So they're looking at uh, execution, technique, uh, vocabulary, originality and musicality. So across those five things. Vocabulary? You're spelling out words as well in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) So range of movements, quantity of moves. So you're not just kind of repeating the same sorts of moves every every round. That's so interesting. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Rachel Gunn, Australia's top-ranked female break dancer in the run-up to the Paris Olympics next year where breaking is going to be included. Rachel, how big is Australia's breaking scene? Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's pretty big and it's been around for a long time as well. So, you know, the, the top level breakers, uh, particularly, you know, a number of the B-boys have been breaking for like, you know, more than 20 years. So we've got, you know, solid scenes in, in Sydney, in Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, Gold Coast, uh, Perth. And, and we've still got, you know, representatives in Tasmania and Darwin. It's all around Australia and it's such a community as well. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I reckon it would be a really interesting spectator sport as well because you are watching people just improvise live, right? People will get around watching it. 
Are there those in the breaking community, though, that are against this inclusion? Like, does it do anything to the reputation of breaking? If it's, you know, a seen as an Olympic sport, it changes how people feel about it and how they feel about being part of the community? Yeah, look, I mean, this is one of the things that I've been researching. I've been talking to Australian breakers about, you know, how they've felt about breaking's inclusion in the Olympics. And look, if they don't want to be part of the Olympics, they're like, look, this culture is so rich, it's so diverse, then I'm just not going to take part in that part of the scene. I'm going to go to these other awesome underground raw events where there's ciphers, where there's so much freestyling, where there's music with no kind of uh, limits on, you know, explicit words or anything like that. And so the, the scene is so broad that you can kind of go, well, that's not for me, good for them. I'm going to partake in this element. What's your training like when you're getting ready for competition? Is it pretty simple training or I imagine it's not just dance moves but it's flexibility, cardio, all sorts of stuff? Yeah, it's a bit bit of everything, absolutely. Conditioning, like strength conditioning, uh, cardio, you know, explosiveness, flexibility and trying to run (laughs) over my best combos as well. Like it's it's a lot of different things you need to be able to master. Explosiveness sounds pretty wild, (laughs) I must say. Um, And you're getting ready to go overseas to compete tomorrow, Dragon. What the hell? Yeah, yeah, it's all happening. Well, because that's the thing. If we don't have an Oceania qualifier, they're going to pick the top three world um, the top three ranked from Oceania in the world rankings. So we've still got to go out there and pay our way to try and um, get up rankings in all these big international events. Oh. So it's it's going to be a pretty hectic year. It's so interesting. No doubt you're going to be doing your best to get to the Olympics. We're all hoping we're going to see you there. Thank you so much, Australia's top-ranked B-girl, Ray Gunn. Dr. Rachel Gunn. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Hack. And we've got some messages coming through. Someone says, yeah, full support. Watching my sport at the Olympics, Equestrian, is such a fun community event. I love it. People getting right behind it. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple J.